Round pound sound, round pound sound, round pound sound, round pound sound, round pound sound. And that's how I was introduced to Craig Price eight years ago this month. Hi, I'm Margo Escott, and this is Improv Interviews. I'm a psychotherapist and improviser in Naples, Florida. And this podcast is all about improvisers and therapists and people who are using improv in a wonderfully creative way. Today's guest is a dear friend and mentor of mine, Mr. Craig Price. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Margo. So glad to have you here today. Thanks for having me me here. Well, I understand this is your 30th anniversary of doing and being and teaching improv. Yes, thank you for figuring that out this morning. You uh, did the math, and that's how I know it's been 30 years. It has been an incredible journey, though, uh, I have to say. And looking back, um, just some amazing things have happened in my life because of improv. So how has improv changed over the years? You started back when it was still, it wasn't on everybody's mind. There weren't thousands of improv classes internationally as there are today. Yeah, there was a few Hot Pockets, you know, which is what I ate a lot in college. But um, there are a few Hot uh, beds of improv, um, which, you know, of course, Chicago being one of them. And I took a, a class in uh, college when, uh, being a theater major. I had to take an improv class. And uh, the book for the class that the professor gave us was Keith Johnstone's uh, book, Impro. And that was it. And that was like the thinnest textbook I've ever had. And I thought at that point, this is a class that I could really uh, stay with. <laughs> and But I fell in love with improv and went to Chicago as soon as I graduated from school at Wittenberg in Ohio. And then I left... Um, there right away I knew that you know I followed some buddies um, who also lived in Chicago uh, who um, right after we graduated that's where we went and enrolled in classes at Second City and it you know the rest uh, developed from there but man that time in Chicago and I look back on it now I mean there's some really cool stuff going on it was really early on um, Del Close was still teaching uh, at I.O., then Improv Olympic, um, which was just down the street from uh, Second City. And so we were able to go back and forth between the two classes. You know, I had my, my crew at Second City that I hung out with, and I went through all the levels in the training center with them and progressed and, and wrote a lot of uh, sketches with them. Um, and then uh, we also had uh, a Herald team over at uh, I.O., and we would try to, you know, uh, bang out some heralds and uh, go to classes with Del Close. And, it, you know, it's so cool to hear um, people who now are very famous who were at I.O. just shortly after I was or before I was who had the same experience I did uh, taking classes from Del Close. You know, it's... Uh, so Del Close is kind of a guru in improv world. Not everybody's heard of him, but an improv world. And can you describe a little bit about the Herald? Because that's a really different form that Dell uh, is credited with. Yeah. And it was, um, it was tough for me being really new to improv, bouncing back and forth between Second City's style of games and sketches to Del Close's style of the Herald. Um, and it was scary too, to play with really no 
you know, really no format at all. Long form improv was so scary to me at the time. And Del Close was a pretty scary teacher at the time. Um, you know, but he always encouraged all the students to play to the top of their intelligence. Um, that if we treat each other as geniuses and poets, um, then we will behave as geniuses and poets. And so we always were taught the same thing at both places to encourage each other, to play intelligently, to lift each other up and, um, to make your scene partner look good. Um, and so, you know, if we started real basic like that, we learned this Herald, which was essentially long form improv with a few structural uh, things put into place where we would open up uh, with uh, a game that a lot of information would come out, um, whether it be a monologue by somebody or whether it be us each stepping out saying, you know, maybe one minute or less about a topic that was shouted out. From the audience, they shout out orange, and I'd step out and tell a story about my mom's uh, Camaro that I stole when I was 14 years old in the middle of the night and tried to drive it and crashed it, and it was an orange Camaro. And then somebody else would step out and tell a story about how they um, they painted their room their favorite color, and it was orange, or how orange makes them feel so each of us would step out and do these monologues, and then the scenes would be loosely based on those monologues. So you start to see that information come out um, in the scenes. And then you do you know, three of those scenes, and then you do uh, a game, and then a timeline, jump forwards or backwards um, in those three scenes, and then another game, and then an another three scenes. And then all of a sudden, it would end up, and these scenes are crossing back and forth, and you start to see characters from other scenes and your scenes and I mean it was it was wild as a young improviser to see it actually on stage work um, and some of the players that I saw at at IO at the time Dave Pasquese uh, um, TJ Jagodowski Jimmy Corain you know uh, Matt Need who I ended up meeting up with later in Denver and doing improv with with all these guys um, were were doing um, these heralds and of course uh uh, some other incredible people. Um, Chris Farley was there at the time. John Favreau. Um, I, I just found out in an interview um, with uh, Jimmy Crane that he did that he was actually selling T-shirts at Second City. He was never on stage. I always thought he was a big deal, you know. And so here, you know, Favreau was just selling T-shirts at the at the T-shirt shop at Second City. But he was on um, a stage over at IO too. So you got to see a lot of incredible people do that format really well, and it was a great way to learn it. Well, it's kind of a classical education in improv, as you will probably understand, because today there's so many other forms of improv going on. So specifically, what do you see as some of the changes that have gone on in the improv world? Well, you're right. I mean, there's so many different formats now. You know, when we go to these... these um, uh, improv uh, festivals and we see so many different formats that people are experimenting with now um, and uh, and it's you know it's all kind of based from the same 
couple of areas of, of short form and long form, but you start to see uh, new formats come out now. Um, that's been a big change um, in improv. Um, also, you know, I saw it go from, for a while there, there was an improv versus stand-up mentality you know it got very competitive and and kind of angry for a while there was a period in improv where i saw it be you know kind of uh anti uh, other things the improv was the coolest but it's come back now and it's such a positive art form now um and, and you know to see the progression of improv over the years and to see it now being um practiced as this art form and accepted as this art form all over the world and see people um, perform it uh, in, in all kinds of different levels and, and use it to improve people's lives now is just um, so wonderful to see um, how improv is, as, is changing people's lives. And on that note, you helped develop a wellness program in Southwest Florida, a very unique program, and can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was, you know, I, I always wondered um, how improv, I've always saw it help, it helped me. Um, and I've always used the philosophies that I learned at Second City and at IO to change my life. And I saw it transform my thinking. And if I used that same yes and encouragement, love and acceptance in all my areas of life, I seem to be more successful. And if I could teach that to other people. I thought, wow, this is great. Um, and I saw that happen in the early classes I was teaching, change people's lives. I saw it help people's lives. I saw it help you. Um, I saw it help other people in our classes. But I never knew uh, then, like I know now, how much it can help kids and adults with varying abilities and disabilities. Um, to see it have such a positive effect in the lives of children um, with autism. Um, that has been a big part of what I'm doing in the wellness program now. Kids with autism are benefiting so much from improv and um and it's nice to see that, it, it, you know, I'm not the first by any means, but down here um, uh, definitely uh, was the first to do the wellness program with kids with autism, adults with autism, um, classes for uh, adults with anxiety, to watch you teach those for people with Parkinson's and, and other uh, brain uh, issues. You're teaching those classes. It's so amazing to see us uh, develop this wellness program and to bring all all these people in of all ages and all abilities and to watch improv have a positive impact on their life is incredible. It is an incredible program and you really are an incredible teacher. I remember when I first started with you, what I really appreciated was feeling validated and feeling that even though these games might have a challenge to them or a problem to be solved, that I was able to eventually do it. And that positive reinforcement, you're a great coach and teacher as well, very inspirational, because when I started your classes, I became addicted right away and then went on to take classes all over the place, but you're my favorite teacher still. Oh, so thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about how you got involved with the wellness program, where, where you started with that. Well, um, you know, it was, it was interesting how it came about. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason. 
Um, and I didn't know what the reason was. When my children were first diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, um, and we were going to uh, get help from various therapists. We did some occupational therapy, and uh, Mary Fellins um, was uh, in charge of uh, the MF therapy. And she, I saw her doing like improv games with my kids and other kids who um, uh, were, were having much more difficulty um, with where they were on the spectrum. And she's doing some improv games. And I saw her therapist really benefiting from being flexible. And I saw the kids learning not to be so rigid in their thinking. And I thought, that's improv right there. So um, I, uh, I asked Mary if she would help me out um, and help me tailor my teaching um, uh, to for kids with autism, and the first thing she said is, "Well, you got to quiet it down a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> mellow it out a little, um, and you'll be fine." Um, so I keep my face excited, but my voice is a little quieter um, when I teach um, uh, the sensory processing disorder. And uh, kids, you know, uh, with autism have uh, all other sensory issues, so we keep it a little quieter, a little darker in the classroom, a little more chill, but the same enthusiasm. Excitement um, and uh, and then so I also went to Able Academy uh, here in town. Colleen Cornwall uh, was fantastic, and she helped show me some some ways to get down on the ground and and um, just some different techniques of teaching, um, and also really helped me set up my room. The environment in the room uh, uh, was really important, and they showed me how to do that and incorporate that into my teaching. So uh, I had some great uh, role models along the way, and, and that's all uh, because I had some exposure to um, to that um, to that community. So you had a personal involvement as well, and and you studied um, online with Sandy Bruce out of Atlanta too. That's right. That's yeah. right. That was great, and thank you for introducing me to that class. And yeah, she actually that's the first program that started in the states, and now other theaters have it as well. But it's a real pioneering. I'm waiting for when uh, improv can be considered a therapeutic intervention, just like music therapy and art therapy, Absolutely. because it really does have so much therapeutic. Uh, value for our, the people who study with us. And it's great to see that the research is being done, that there's people actively right today um, currently involved in, in doing some great research on that so that we can um, have the research behind us to, to prove that it really does help. We know chemically in our brains and in our bodies how it makes us feel when we're on stage and we're doing improv. And I get that feeling every class I teach I get that feeling back from my students. So it's, uh, uh, I know it's working. It is certainly working. And so I wanted to ask you about how your style of teaching has changed. I mean, we started the today with the same exercise we do in every beginning class. Mm -hmm. And even more advanced classes, we do the warm-ups. Yeah, I still do that every class. Um, kids, adults, the same thing. Um, that is one thing that has been consistent all the way through. Um, and... You know, that uh, the style of, of teaching has developed over the years. I would have to say, um, you know, I, I definitely have gotten better at it. That's for sure. I've gotten better at um, the the type of teaching um, that I've always done. Those, uh, you know, Margo, from the very start, there were some folks in every class that are all in, like you. 
You know, they wanted to learn everything. And then they were gung-ho from the very start. And um, then there are others that are a bit more resistant to the yes and philosophy, to encouraging each other on stage. They want to go out there and tell jokes. I think in the first class you were in, we had a, a stand-up comedian. And we had uh-huh. uh, you know uh, a guy who thought it was all about telling jokes. And so um, you know people come from different places and different philosophies and um, to get us all to come together and be accepting and encouraging of everyone, we have um, such... Uh, an opportunity to bring everybody together from all these different walks of life. And um, so that's been something I've learned over the years is actually um, being able to incorporate all those different ideas and philosophies. That's been tough, but that's been something I've learned to do and encourage everybody. Um, And then my style of teaching um, has also changed over the years to have um, a, uh, more of a, an agenda, like I, I need to have a running order of w- games that I'm going to do, but I also need to be flexible and maybe there's a different direction I need to go with a class or a couple other games. And that has been something that has developed over the years to have that toolkit of games and exercises that I can do with any given group because I may have one direction I want to go and this is with kids and adults uh, of all abilities uh, but when uh, it needs to go a different direction, I have the games and exercises I can pull from. And so I've definitely grown in that area of my teaching. You're really an incredible teacher. I can't say that enough and how much you've inspired me. And just recently you um, did some warm-up and games with a workshop, Improv for Therapists. Yeah. And what, what experience was that like for you working with just the psychotherapists? Well, thank you for inviting me to do that, Margo. That was great. It was wonderful um, to be included in that. Um, and, uh, you know, it was interesting. That class experience, there was some resistance there was some definite resistance, like, how is this silly improv thing going to help me? Um, and it was a perfect example of how there are some people in, the, in that class that were all in. Um, that uh, The woman that came over from Just the Funny on the other coast, she has, uh, improvises herself, also is a therapist, so she knew. Um, but then there were other folks in there that were like, eh, I don't know. How's this going to help me? How's this going to help me in my practice? Um, how's this going to make me a better therapist, you know, doing these wacky games? And uh, I definitely felt by the end they were all in. Um, so you're welcome. I warmed them up for you. You most certainly did. And you incorporated a couple of the basic philosophies. We used to talk about rules, but we decided that was a little bit too rigid to talk about rules or suggestions. But the idea of the yes and... And also the idea that there are no mistakes in improv. Mm-hmm. That w- so can you talk about that a little bit, about yes and, and that uh, idea of no mistakes? Yeah, that you know has been um, the, the philosophy that I'm sure everybody in every improv class, everywhere hears yes and. Um, but, you know, I, I've always tried to incorporate um, the yes part is easy and and Tina Fey talks about it in her book you know yeah yes what do you want to do this everybody can agree right right but it's the and part the trust that you know your partner is on the same page with you your partner's playing by the same rules of yes and so you know that not only do you get to say yes but you get to say and and you get to add more information because you know your partner's going to say 
Yes, and they're going to add more information. They're going to give each other these gifts back and forth across the stage um, and working with those gifts. Um, that uh, uh, is so, um, I forget what the question is now. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that was a good part on yes, and. And the other one was about that. Um, and it's, you know, I follow some uh, groups online with the improvisers and teachers. And, you know, it's, it's funny, some people say, well, you know, yes, and could get in the way. But I think it's a great starting point, because it's about acceptance. And I think there's parallels with uh, a lot of different things like addiction recovery, about acceptance is one of the first things we learn, not necessarily the yes, and but accepting each other as we are, and whatever we say is considered a gift. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I, I think the, what you had mentioned earlier, which really got me thinking was the no mistakes. And that was, um, illustrated in our group, um, that we taught for therapists, um, cause they were so concerned at least initially about making a mistake. Um, and my teachings developed over the years, um, to kind of go back to that question that it used to be, I'd teach the rigid form of a game, you know, that it has to be this way. Right, right. This is the way we have to do it. Um, and you have to say this and you have to say that. And now it's more like, no, it's all right. If you make a mistake, there's no mistakes. There's only these happy little accidents that we can incorporate that in. If you don't say zip, zap, zop, and you say zoop or whatever you say, we are going to bring that in. That's fine. So that passing the sound game, it's not about zip, zap, zop, and you have to sit down if you don't say it in order anymore. Um, no, no longer am I teaching it that way. So you're not teaching win-lose games anymore, but they're all win-win games. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They're all win-win games, and we're all going to learn something from uh, every exercise. So getting back to your wellness program, I'm sure there's been some students that you've been particularly impressed with and how it's affected them and their families. Can you share one of those stories? <laughs> yeah. Without crying. <laughs> you can cry without crying. Um, well, you know it's it's particularly uh, uh, raw right now and emotional for me because we just had uh, two student, well, a student and a mom, um, just speak directly to that, and it was really powerful um, to watch. Uh, them uh, get up on stage and speak in front of 200 plus people about how improv has positively affected their life and in particular their classes with me and for them to mention me by name and to say that you know before they started taking classes with me it was like this and um, they had a hard time speaking to people, a hard time making eye contact, um, and they couldn't get a job. And then Solomon is who I'm speaking of now, Solomon Lusk, who said then um, after classes with Craig um, and taking improv classes, I was able to go into job interviews and look them in the eye and answer their questions. And even if I didn't know what they were going to ask me, I could answer honestly. And now he's got a job. And you know, his mom was just so appreciative. And um, then another student's mom came and spoke as well about how, you know, we were able to help her get her daughter back. And you've been involved in that class, Margo. And oh, I've seen wonderful changes with a little girl I'm thinking about right now, Kendall. Yes. Who started off so shy and crying and couldn't be separated from her mom till she is eagerly running to class and participating in the games. And, and it's just a transformation that you 
just have to see it to believe it. Yeah, it is incredible. And uh, and she even read a letter at that point from her grandmother that said, thank you for giving me my daughter back or my granddaughter back. And it's, oh, wow. Yeah. And she was an autism student, or we, we, don't, we don't specify diagnosis in the program. So they, they could be on the autism spectrum, but they could have ADHD, sensory processing, and they could have other neurocognitive disorders. So it's not just one thing that they're coming in for. Right. So there's multiple ways that children who have uh, issues, and you know, apparently one in five children in America today has a mental health issue. So there's a lot of kids out there that can benefit just the feeling of self-esteem and getting more confidence in themselves. And you instill that. You're kind of like a Pied Piper of enthusiasm with kids. Well, I think, yeah, I try to be. Um, That's definitely a conscious decision on my part. Um, And, you know, I've always told parents that that improv is a confidence builder, that it's going to help them in front of their classmates answer questions, raise their hand even in class and answer questions. all the way up to giving speeches and and being involved in debate. Um, There's obvious applications for improv in those areas. Um, But you're right, just the confidence building has been a big part of what we can do. And um, that's where I think um, improv is going to go for me personally in this wellness program is incorporating everyone because, like you said, one in five. I mean, that's incredible um, that so many kids are battling so many different issues right now. And improv can really help all those issues. These classes are going to help give confidence to um, kids and adults with with any difficulties um, that they're experiencing. And, and, and we can help with that. So, yeah, opening it up to, to everyone and, and making sure that um, we offer this great art form as a way of recovery to everyone is uh, really a growth area for us in this wellness program. So you've been doing this for 30 years, not the wellness program, but that's a couple of years old now, but you've been doing improv playing and teaching and how has improv changed your personal life at all? <laughs> well, I'm, I am told by my wife that I need to use yes and more at home. <laughs> uh, I get that quite a bit. Um, active listening is another big one that we, uh, and, and that's probably my biggest problem on stage, um, uh, is listening. Um, and, uh, my, and my biggest problem at home as well is active listening. So I have to really uh, make sure that I incorporate both of those things um, from improv into my personal life. Um, It has um, really given me uh, a new appreciation and ability in in parenting, Um, having improv uh, skills and actually remembering to use them during my my parenting. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. You know, I got all this stuff, 30 years of experience of doing improv, performing improv, teaching improv, and then I come home and I forget to practice it with my kids and my wife. Uh, and that's, that's the biggest thing is remembering to use all these wonderful techniques I've learned and taught over the years at home. And in work, you know, that's been a big one. Um, you know, uh, I've been able to teach some corporate workshops where uh, I've, I've seen it 
uh, improve communication in the office and in the workplace. Um, so uh, use it myself using it at work is a big one, making sure that I can see myself and I can see other folks um, in the theater. Um, now I can see them go, oh, no, I don't think so. And me being more open to the ideas, I'm, I'm able to listen to others' uh, ideas and incorporate them into what I think is a good plan for our wellness program, um, which we're currently doing at the Naples Players, um, which has been a, a great opportunity for, for them. to. They've really uh, encouraged us to, to grow this wellness program. And as their education director, that's been a big, par- a big part of what I've been able to do. You mentioned listening, and a lot of the games we play in improv are about listening, being able to listen, because you, for example, a game like maybe one word story, I'm thinking about specific games where you really have to listen and focus in on others. And when people suffer anxiety, like I've done for a long time, we have so many thoughts in our head, it's hard to sometimes focus, but that's what really attracted me to these games and exercises, the idea of really being able to focus and listen with intent and then recognize when I'm not doing it, but not in a punitive way, not in a teacher that goes, no, 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 but yes, ands the students, and supports them. Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, I have to give you a compliment, Margo. It's been wonderful to watch you develop as uh, a player, um, but also as a teacher in improv. You have really hit your stride where you're starting, you know, that – to incorporate that in, in your teaching. It's so wonderful to watch you make a difference in people's lives, uh, with your teaching improv. You've been, uh, a great asset, um, to a, a lot of people and to the, the wellness program. Um, and yeah, I mean, watching, uh, incorporating that into, uh, the, the classes in encouraging, um, people and also not um, doing the games where they don't have to think. And you can see um, when someone right before they're about to say something, they take that breath and you can almost see the, the wheels just lock up in the brain like, oh gosh, why well, I can't say that. What am I going to say? And, um, and if we can try to get rid of that as much as possible. I've created a very safe and comfortable environment when I start to see that go away um, and uh, just see the instant response happen where they know it's comfortable, no mistakes, they can say whatever. So going back to Del Close, what do you think Del Close would think about you today and, and what you're doing and what he taught you? Oh, man, I, you know, I, <laughs> I found out it, it was so amazing to be in Chicago at that time and take classes from Del Close. And it gets even more and more amazing. The longer I teach um, and the more I perform, I start to hear Dell in my head say these things, you know, which I never heard back there in class. I was so scared to death when he would be leaning back in his chair with a cup of black coffee in one hand and a cigarette in the other and look like he was sleeping um, while we we're doing scenes up on stage. And then he'd wake up in the middle of a, uh, and he'd go, oh, what are you doing? You, know, <laughs> you can't walk out on stage and say, you know, what are you doing? You don't say, what are you doing? Doing in a scene? That's a game. Get out of here. Uh, he, uh, you know, I, he was amazing and it scared the crap out of me. So I would, uh, I think I, I 
blocked out a lot of what he said in class, but it's coming back now. Um, and I think he'd be very proud. I think he'd be proud that I'm taking all these things he taught me. Um, Michael Gelman was the other name I was thinking of the other night at Second City between Michael Gelman and Del Close and Don DiPolo at Second City. Those are, um, you know, Mick Napier, um, those names are of people that were the most influential in um, in teaching me uh, the philosophies that I'm using now every day. And I think those guys would be so proud to see um, the things that they've taught me are now uh, I'm I'm using them to help people and, and change people's lives and you know to have parents and kids talk about how it's been such a positive. Uh, you know, how it's impacted their life so positively is you know just a wonderful feeling. So yeah, I think they'd be very proud. Um, and uh, uh, I think that they, um, if Dell were alive today, I think he would be doing the same thing. He'd be changing the world with improv. He'd be coming up with a whole new format that is making a difference. Well, you're certainly making a difference, Craig. And I, I know that this summer you're going to be speaking at a conference for uh, th- uh, recreational therapists and people who work in, in communities with children and adults. And you're doing that this August, I think? Yes, absolutely. And I think the woman that initially um, contacted um, me and you about speaking there was the uh, a woman that I met with very early on in my wellness program. She actually helped me to develop uh, the classroom and taught me um, some techniques for teaching uh, kids who were actually confined to a wheelchair or who were immobile. Um, so that was uh, really helpful in talking with her. Um, so yeah, she uh, contacted us about teaching that. I'm so excited and honored to go to Orlando and teach um uh, in that conference and and I'm so happy that uh, that you'll be there as well. That's right. Well, you've changed a lot of people's lives. You certainly changed my life. I can't say that enough. And you brought yes and <clears throat> into the world and made it certainly a better place. Craig Price, do you have any advice for anybody that's thinking about either taking improv or maybe starting to teach improv? What would you say? Well, I think um, those are two different people. Um, taking and teaching. Um, You definitely see that there are folks that can take improv classes um, and do great work on stage, but then to teach it is a different personality, is a different technique. And it takes a while to make that shift. Um, And um, my advice to the person taking uh, the classes um, is to go in with an open mind. Go with him with an open mind. Um, and uh, also, don't be afraid to get up on stage and make mistakes. Uh, I see a lot of students, and I've heard Jimmy Corain say this as well, that you know they'll come in, they'll pay all this money for a class, and then they don't get out of their chair. Um, and you can't. Make, you can't learn if you don't get up there and make mistakes. And um, so it's it's um, that would be my encouragement is to get. Get up out of your chair yeah. uh, and, and get out there. And then for teachers, um, my encouragement would be also keep an open mind. Um, don't be afraid uh, to change 
your teaching and to ask advice from other teachers and to listen to your students who may not tell you in so many words that they need it explained to them a little differently, but you'll see um, that there's a blank stare and be aware of that um, and bring everybody in. Um, that person that's sitting in their chair that may not want to get up, don't let them just sit there. Um, encourage them to get up. But if they're not getting up for a reason, because maybe they do have more anxiety than they let on, it's okay. Let them sit there. Because you know what? The second class, they may get up. And the third class, they'll be performing. Great advice. Well, again, thank you so much, Mr. Craig, as you're affectionately known by the children in the theater. (laughs) And I can't wait to see what's going to be happening next in your life. I appreciate you. And again, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Margo. I really appreciate it. This is a a great podcast that you have. You have some great interviews and uh, you help a lot of people with this, with this work that you're doing here. Well, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.